an international vice president and an international uh, company's vice president and one of his chief officers were out enjoying the change in season in the summertime on his big fancy sailing and ripping around out in the ocean and it's swamps and they're, they shipwreck and they're by an island so they both manage to drift to the island. When they get to the island, the, uh, the executive is going nuts. He's screaming and shouting, we're going to die, we're going to die. No water, nobody's going to find us. We're out in the middle of nowhere, we're going to die. The VP, on the other hand, is leaning against the tree, just very calm. And uh, the executive is looking at him and says, what's the matter with you? You don't understand. We're on an island. We're going to die. And the executive says, I mean, the VP says to the executive, no, you don't understand. I make $100,000 a week. The executive says, what in the world does that make any difference? Whatever, it doesn't matter. There's no here. There's no food, no water. We're going to die. And the VP says, no, no, you don't. I make $100,000 a week. And I tithe one-tenth of that every week to my church. It doesn't matter where I am. My pastor's going to find me. Uh, could we listen to that recording? We're going to listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. I thank God, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. 
What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition, we are sending with them our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. 2 Corinthians 9 There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we do bow before you this morning and ask you for your blessing. Pray that you'll uh, give me clarity of speech and uh, precision of understanding and expression of your word. Pray that your uh, word might be effective in all of our hearts and draw us closer to you. Allow us to understand this idea of biblical giving to your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I've been reminded that this is a controversial topic, and so there, may, there are many people that disagree with me, and uh, 
I would like to uh, make that caveat before I start. I do think it's resolvable, and hence I am preaching what I am preaching. The next slide will show you this uh, biblical giving. Uh, these are verbs and nouns that are associated with giving, and uh, you can read them. It's a total of 3,223 verses, and I thought that might take us a little while this morning to read that, so I've cut that down some. Uh, but those are terms and verses that deal with this issue of giving. And as I was preparing, I thought that I want to share more than just the hard data of what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, 8 and 9. But there's an atmosphere that goes around both the Old Testament giving and the New Testament giving that I think is important and is in, far, in fact a large part of this idea of what does it mean to give an offering to God. So the next slide will give you the summary of this message. Old Testament tithing, that is regulated giving, is designed or is replaced in full through Christ. Now, spontaneous spirit directed, that is willingly, gladly giving to meet needs and communicate the Savior's love. I think that's the essence of our New Testament giving. The next slide now will start us off in what is Old Testament tithing. This is the first mention of tithing in the Bible. It is also the primary basis for, or the primary foundation for what is currently used to support tithing today. Uh, it's, what's said is this is Genesis 14, it's Abraham speaking, uh, and uh, he says, And blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him, that is Melchizedek, a tenth of everything. That's a historical statement about what Abraham did after he recovered Lot and his family and all those people that were captured when uh, the, three, the five kings came in and, and uh, took them away from Sodom and Gomorrah. But uh, this Genesis 14 passage is the first mention of tithing. And it's a... Uh, principle that's used to support tithing today. That's why I have the asterisk by it. There'll be two more that are primary uh, bases for the defense of tithing. The, this is a historical statement about what Abraham did. The next slide is about 112 years later. It's while Jacob is running away from his brother Esau. He's deceived his father into giving him the blessing of the firstborn at his mother's wishes, by the way. I think Jacob got a bad rap in the Bible. His mom told him to do it, and he did what she said. But this is 120, 112 years after the Genesis passage, and this is what it said. He's camping out. He has the, the dream of Jacob's ladder with the angels ascending and descending. And he says, And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Again, that tithe from uh, Jacob to God. That is another historical statement. Now, the next slide brings us to about 450 years after that. And this is on Mount Sinai. And the mountain is flaming, and Moses goes up the mountain. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. 
Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and hides of sea cows. Achaia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. This is before the law was given. This is Moses' uh, direction from God about what to do before he gives them the law, or gives Moses the law. This is a command for the people to choose what they have prompted in their heart. The next, this is to the generation that came out of Egypt, by the way. The next slide is Leviticus 27:30, is the law that Moses is given from God. Between the first one that I read and this one, the people have made a golden idol. While Moses was getting the directions from God to have them collect an offering from those guys that wanted to, they're down on the flat making an idol and worshiping it, going wild with Aaron. Now, this is the law after Moses has told them to kill off all the brothers and sisters that did that. He's back up on the mountain now, and uh, this is Leviticus 27. And God tells him, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil, fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If a man redeems any of his tithe, he must add a fifth to it. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. He has told him in another passage that the firstborn of every animal and every child is holy to the Lord. But this is the tenth one, the tithe. This is the Mosaic law. This is to that generation that was uh, delivered from Egypt. Now, the next slide is 40 years later. All of that generation has died off, and this is what God is telling the new younger generation that will actually go in and possess the promised land. Deuteronomy 12:5 to 6. But you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all your tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. To that place you must go. There, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give, and your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. That's the law. And that gives you an idea of all of the different ways that they were giving to God. The Old Testament giving was very complex. The tithe was between 20 and 30 percent total, not just 10 percent. But that's the law that was given to the second generation. The next slide is Deuteronomy 14, also given to that second, that new generation going into the promised land. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too far distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. This is the first mention of a monetary gift of giving dollars and cents or shekels and whatever else they had to the Lord. The next slide will show something that makes this more sensible. Uh, Oops, wrong button. 
Okay, how do you turn this thing off, Glenn? Okay, I'll just use this part of it. If you see down here, this is the southern tip of Israel. This would have been under David and Solomon's kingdom, by the way. The tribes just moving into the land, their kingdom would have ended about here. This would have been Judah, and that would have been the southernmost tribe. This is the Dead Sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is the Jordan River. This is the Great Sea. This is the, the Sea of Galilee, and this would have been the northern limit up in here of the settling tribes, the tribes that received Deuteronomy. They would have been up here. This would have been Asher. This would have been Naphtali, and Manasseh would have been on this side. But during the Davidic and Solomonic kingdoms, that kingdom extended way up off this slide, up here by the Euphrates, which would be up here. Now, just the Deuteronomy recipients from here to here in the southern tip is about 475 miles. You know where Jerusalem is? Right in the middle, right about there. So that means that the people in the northern and the southern tips would have had to travel about 237 and a half miles to go worship God. That's why God said, if you can't carry your tithe, change it into silver and carry it with you. When you get there, then the next slide tells us what they should do. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Apparently, alcoholic beverages were part of the Israelite praise and worship time. That's probably why they rejoice later on. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns, may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. That is the law. That is what was commanded of the Israelites going into the promised land. And it was a prosperity gospel. The Old Testament law really was a prosperity gospel. Sometime take the time. It's a very long chapter. Read Deuteronomy chapter 28. It tells you, or tells us, that if we obey God, or if the Old Testament Israelites obeyed God, he'd bless them. If they disobeyed God, he'd toast them. And then the Old Testament records the fact that they got a lot of toast. And the whole idea is that you obey God, and he rewards you. Okay, that's the generation going into the promised land. 896 years later, approximately, is this next slide, which is Second Chronicles 31. They went through Saul, they went through David and Solomon in the United Kingdom, and they split northern Israel, southern Judah, all the kings, most of them bad, few good. They were exiled to Babylon. Northern kingdom went to Syria, Southern Judah went to Babylon. After the exile in Babylon, 896 years later, Chronicles is written. And look what it says. As soon as the order went out, okay, these guys have been in captivity now for uh, 400 years. They come back as soon as the, I'm sorry, 70 years, sorry, 70 years. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, wine, oil, and honey, all that the foods produced, or the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. The men of Israel and Judah who lived in the towns of Judah also brought a tithe of their herds and flocks and a tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them in heaps. 
They were just happy to get out of Babylon, be back where their promised land was, to the, the holy land. And he, they piled them in heaps. That's the law. Next slide. Nehemiah, which, by the way, is the end of the chronological development of the Old Testament. Nehemiah says, All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and oil into the storerooms. It's a historical statement of what happened. The next slide is approximately 115 years after this. Malachi 3, 8 to 10. By the way, this is another verse that is used to support tithing today. And I've heard uh, sermons on this, although I've tried my best to remember where it was. I can't remember if it's on TV or live, but I've heard sermons on this. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you. Because you are robbing me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not, that you will not have enough room for it. This is a law-based command telling the people that they were sinning. This is 115 years after they were happy to pile everything in a heap and give it to God. See, they forgot. And... They had to be reminded. Next slide is the New Testament, or should I say, what is used for people that support the tithe to confirm New Testament tithing, or at least support it. Hebrews 7, 1 through 28, talks about Melchizedek again. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. But because Jesus, and there's several statements in between that. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. This historical statement made in Hebrews is not prescribing tithing. It is mentioning tithing and Abraham and Melchizedek with the purpose of exalting Christ to demonstrate the superiority of Christ over Melchizedek, who was superior over Abraham, who was the patriarch of the Israelite religion, faith, nation. He was, the author of Hebrews was simply exalting the superiority of Christ, not endorsing tithing. It's a historical statement reinforcing Christ's superiority. In fact, we'll go to one New Testament passage before we actually get to the New Testament tithing, or uh, giving, I mean. In Colossians, Next slide. It tells us specifically, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. The regulated giving of the Old Testament was completed, fulfilled, ended in Christ, just like Sabbath worship. Just like the tithe being all the grain. I mean, we don't have any storehouses here to bring the grain and all in. Now, like I said, this is a controversial issue, and people disagree with me. This is my take on this, and I would love to discuss it with somebody. The next slide is the beginning of New Testament giving. It's more than that. It's the beginning of the New Testament perspective on money, of which giving is a part. The Old Testament, you can see how it was very regulated. You had to do that, which what I did not read out of those 3,223 verses were the verses that said if you did not give the money to the Lord, 
you got kicked out of Israel. You were cut off from the nation. Sometimes that meant death. Sometimes that meant excommunication. Sometimes that just meant that your neighbors didn't say hi to you. But it was a bad deal. You didn't want to get put out of the promised land. Ruth, by the way, is an example. The book of Ruth is an example of that. But now we get to New Testament giving, which is 460 years approximately after Malachi. This is about 30 A.D., and dating is rather uh, uh, uncertain. So Jesus Christ is now on the, on the scene, and he is uh, speaking on the mount. This is part of his Sermon on the Mount. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He's kind of laying the groundwork. That's the line in the sand. You can't do it. It's thesis and antithesis, like Mark Driscoll said this morning. You cannot serve both God and money. Next slide is, again, once, one on the Sermon on the Mount, and then Matthew 19. In Matthew 6, right after he's talking about not keeping or not establishing treasure on earth, but rather keeping treasure in heaven. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things, food and clothing, will be given to you as well. Don't worry about the finances, worry about the righteousness. Then Matthew 19, a young man comes to him, an Israelite who kept the law, comes to ask Jesus, hey, what can I do to follow you? I'm a I'm a disciple. I want to be a disciple. I want to be committed to you. And Jesus answered. He didn't burp. I did. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What I think is a screaming testament from this statement is he doesn't say anything about a tenth. There is no tithe. He says give it all away. Not just 10% of it. Next slide is John, or Luke 3.11. John, going on to this giving idea, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. About 23 years later, in Acts, you might have remembered the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, Peter's talking to, to Ananias. He says, didn't it, that is your field, Ananias, belong to you, Ananias, before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. The, glory, the story goes on to tell that Ananias was uh, killed right then by God. <coughs> Excuse me. The significant part about that comes in the chapter before Acts 5, Acts 4, where Barnabas sells a field and brings it voluntarily to, the, uh, uh, to Peter and has it the money distributed among the people that are needy in the Christian community. Ananias brought a field and faked it. He only gave part of it. Again, no mention is made about a tenth or a tithe of any kind. Ananias was killed by God for keeping some of it, some of it and not giving all of it, and so was his wife, Sapphira. Next slide. In Romans, uh, we hear from the Spirit through Paul. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Then also the, the, the passage that every pastor in the world likes. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? <coughs> in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. That's why that uh, vice president was sure his pastor would find him. But... There is no mention of a tithe. 
And these are passages that are dealing directly with New Testament giving. That's why I'm taking the time to go through this. I want to establish the atmosphere. <coughs> the next slide is 1 Corinthians 16.2. It says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. That's why we listened to the recording, by the way, of Second uh, Corinthians 8 and 9. They are the premier passages in the New Testament about giving. The point being that you're supposed to give in accord with what you have, what, you, what your income is. The next slide is now the passage that we listened to, Second Corinthians 8. <coughs> and they, the Macedonian churches, did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, faith, speech, and knowledge, in complete earnestness and your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Again, it's not a tenth. There's nothing to deal with a, a tithe. It's pray about it, talk to God, and respond to what he tells you to do. Specifically, excel in the grace of giving. The next slide. I am not commanding you, he goes on. Specifically, I am not commanding you. It's not the law. It's not the Old Testament where you will be cut off from your friends and national Israel if you don't obey. I am not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So if you're looking in the offering plate when your neighbor drops some money in, that's what Paul said. <laughs> I'm kidding about that. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. For if the willingness is there, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Now, what I want to make, a point I want to make about this is, I began my Christian life tithing. And it took a long time and a lot of Bible study for me to come to a different understanding. So I can speak a little bit, at least from the uh, uh, survey of one, that sometimes it hurts to tithe. I should be buying food. I should be making a house payment. I should do something that I have to do. But I need to have more faith and trust God because I've got to give him a tenth of my income first off. I would suggest that I was sinning against my family, against myself before I got married and had kids, because I was denying myself and I was begrudging God. God! You know, I did it, of course, and had a smile on my face and everybody thought I was a sweet new Christian. But God, why are you taking this money? I've got to pay my bills. I've got to put gas in my car, whatever the else. It was hurtful for me. Flip that coin over. The most money I ever made in my life was put body work down in cold water. I made $101,000. And it put me in such a high tax bracket that it took me five years to pay my taxes. <coughs> but what happened was, when I had all that money... Eh, you know what, God? I really do need to buy a new port of power or gold. And hey, if I give you 10%, I'm clean. Here's your 10%, and I want to use the rest of my money to do whatever I felt like. 
I think that's pretty common. When you have a lot of money, 10% is a buyout. I don't need to worry. I got my, my uh, ducks in a row. I put my 10% in, and I'm living on a $300 million income. The point being that I think if you're poor, it hurts you because you cut your own throat and you begrudge God. No matter how sweet you smile and how well you look, you've got to have those moments when you say, boy, I really need this. When you're rich, you sin because you think you're buying your way out of the responsibility to help other people. My kids and I and my wife sometimes have joked about winning the lottery. You know, if you win the lottery, it's really difficult. First off, you've got to have bodyguards for everybody that you've ever known through your whole life so somebody doesn't get kidnapped and held for ransom. But second, how do you decide who do you give money to? Because everybody's asking you for money. You get uh, junk mail. They want you to support everything conceivable. And if you have the money, how do you decide what you do and don't support? I've worked for some very, very wealthy people, and they were very, very uh, unhappy in the sense that they thought that everybody was trying to get their hand in the not Certainly not because of my, my money, but those guys at Harvard always think about that, people trying to get something for nothing. So I think that this uh, passage is very significant. We're to give what's acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. If you, next, uh, next uh, slide is 2 Corinthians 9. So sparingly will also reap sparingly. There is a slight tinge of a prosperity gospel there, but it's based on giving in faith and then waiting to receive in faith. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Again, if you're poor and you're giving up 10% of the money you should be buying food or clothing for your kids, shoes or socks, I would challenge the fact that you're a, uh, not a grudging giver. But God is able to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. To supply seed and bread for food will also supply and increase your store to enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Just don't let, ignore that phrase. When you're giving up something that's material, God's going to bless you with something that's much more valuable and immaterial. You'll increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll shine a little brighter when you walk into a dark room, you know. Your halo will be a little bigger. <laughs> more of a of a glory in heaven when you finally get there. I think that's very possible for the reward. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. In other words, it's not just what you put in the plate, but it's the reputation the people have for having that much money in the plate. Next slide, please. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, uh, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. In other words, this demonstrates the reality of my faith, and you too. And 
for your generosity sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surprising grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's the end of chapter 9. <coughs> you know, Colossians and 1 Thessalonians typically say, your reputation of your faith is spreading throughout the known world. That does not mean you're getting a reputation for being huggy face kissy bear. It doesn't mean that everybody in the world saying, hey, do you see they really have a... There's something tangible going on, that you have made a difference. And here's what it says, that you have... No. I believe that's how that message comes about, not just the meeting of needs of people, but the proclamation of the love of Christ. The next slide will continue with two more slides in the New Testament, and then I'll, I'll uh, conclude. But love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Beth and I knew people in seminary that bailed out of seminary because they didn't have enough money. They wanted to live in a higher lifestyle than they could. 1 Timothy 6.18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That's addressed to the people that are wealthy in Timothy's church. Uh, did I say next slide? Next slide. Hebrews 10.8. Yeah. First he said, sacrifice offerings. Now this is again the author of Hebrews. Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor pleased with them tithing, although the law required them to be made. The author of Hebrews is describing God's response to the sacrificial system. It wasn't pleasing to God. Verse 13, chapter 13, verse 16. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. It's because I want to paint an atmosphere in the Old Testament of obligated giving. Yeah, i got to do it or I'm going to get hammered. God's not going to bless my, my John Deere tractor is going to blow up because I want God's blessing. On the other hand, in the New Testament, and they didn't do it. They did it when they got out of captivity, but that faded. Testament giving's totally different. Christ paid it all. But I have a chance to partake in the grace of giving. Testify that many of you helped my family and me when we were sick this last this winter, and I appreciate that very, very much. I know for a fact perspective. Huh. But I want to make sure that everybody understands that it's not a requirement you want to give. It's because you want to please God that, you, uh, that you're giving that uh, gift into the uh, into the uh, offering plate. Take it. Tithing was for the nation of Israel under the old not primarily money. It was crops, goats, whatever, firstborn of whatever your animals. Christ fulfilled the law completely. They nailed it to the cross. There is no longer any regulation. 
and Z is the point that I think is the one that we need to seriously consider. Using a historical statement to support a principle for New Testament behavior is extremely subjective. It's not completely without warrant, but it's extremely subjective and possibly harmful. Like I mentioned, the poor people resenting it, the rich people copping out with it. But think of some of the other historical things that Abraham did. Building a stone wall, he built several of them when he was walking in the promised land. Jacob built a stone altar, said, I'll give you a tenth of what I got. Sacrificing your firstborn son. Abraham did that. Walking about on your neighbor's property and then claiming it. That's what Abraham did. That's what Lot did. Those are all historically verifiable facts. That doesn't mean that we should do that today. You don't want to make a principle on the historical statement. There's a difference between prescribed statement and a described statement. Something you're told to do and something that describes what happened. The next slide is the last one. New Testament giving is because we are glad to obey the Holy Spirit's leading. God saved me. He saved you. If you're trusting Christ as your Savior. And because of that, we want to give him all we got. Sell everything and give it to the poor. Christ told the rich young poor. That's New Testament giving. Old Testament tithing, regulated giving, has been replaced through Christ by spontaneous, spirit-directed giving. We need to communicate our Savior's love. Would you pray with me, please? <coughs> Father, thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to pay my sin debt and all of our sin debts. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God of grace. Part of the grace that you have asked us to participate in is in the grace of giving. Thank you that we don't have to, but that we can. And I pray that each one might have that perspective and show their love for you and their desire to share your truth with the world by being uh, above and beyond the giver, that they might give willingly and cheerfully as much as they can, rather than as little as they can get by with. Thank you for your goodness. We ask you to add your blessing to your word now. In Jesus' name. Sorry for all the coughing.